want to call your attention to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll read two verses of Scripture. Two familiar verses. I think they're familiar to most all of us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Let me just interject. Does anybody feel like you can see that day approaching? Anybody feel like we're getting closer and closer to the return of the Lord? I'm telling you the things that are going on in our world, the craziness that's happening. I, 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 this is not a political statement. So don't take it politically. But this is a crazy world when one day, one day, multitudes are marching for the right to kill babies. And the next day, they're marching to take away our right to defend our babies. Now just, just think about what I'm saying. All right? One day they're screaming, we've got to have abortion. They, they, they want the right to kill the babies. And then after a shooting, well, we can't have guns. As though criminals are going to obey gun laws. It's a crazy world we live in. It's a mixed up, crazy world we live in. And I'm going to tell you, it's not going to get better. Again, I'm not trying to be political, but we've got a president who's appointing transgender people to high office, pushing gay rights. Our government is, is promoting this garbage that brought about judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are not alternate lifestyles. They are abominable sins. Well, we're mostly, I guess we're all home folks today, so I can, I can just be pastor and say what I want to say. I don't know who's listening online, but this is what you get. And these are not political statements. I'm not talking politically. I'm talking biblically. This, this is about the Word of God that's more important than any political party or candidate. It's a messed up world. I mean, again, look, I'm not trying to get into 
I, I really want to get away from all this, but, but you know, the, the latest mantra is 18-year-olds don't, shouldn't have the right to own a firearm. But yet, eight-year-olds ought to have the right to decide their gender. Somebody explain this to me where it makes sense. Because, Brother Goff, it makes no sense to me at all. It makes no sense. To try to tell me that an eight-year-old can decide what they want to be as far as a boy or a girl, no offense to any eight-year-olds. But if we all were locked into what we said we wanted to be at the age of eight, we'd probably have a whole lot of cowboys and princesses, and that's all we'd have. It's a sick world, and it's getting sicker. Because to the world, the cure is more of the disease. And so the apostle said, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And can I, again, I know you're standing, but he didn't want us coming to church so that we would hear what's parroted outside the church. He didn't say keep coming and come more so that you can hear in here what you're hearing out there. Somebody's got to make a stand and tell the truth, even when the truth hurts. So much the more as you see the day approaching. And I'm telling you, I see it approaching. In fact, I see it approaching at a very swift pace. Verse 26, 4, if we sin willfully, after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. An interesting two verses of Scripture that often are not even put together, and yet they were written together. But we'll talk more about that in just a few moments. I want you to put your Bibles down. I want you to lift your hands, lift your voice. I'll announce my title in a few moments. But let's, let's pray together right now, and let's ask the Lord to help us today. We need the touch of God in this place. Let's everybody talk to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Let's praise him, everybody. Let's praise him together. I love you, Jesus.
I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, over the last 26 years, there have been a few Bible lessons that I have taught to this church on more than one occasion. And I've explained to you that there are simply some things that need to be taught again and again and again. For one thing, the most effective method of teaching is repetition. There simply is no better way to teach than to just go over it and over it and over it and over it. And the more you hear it, the more you grasp it, the more you retain it. And so there are some things that need to be repeated. Furthermore, as new folks come to the church, they too need to hear some of these lessons. And so I'm unapologetic when I tell you that there are things I've taught before that I will teach again. I don't apologize for that. I think it's necessary. I think it's essential. I think it's important. And so I'll do it again. And as long as the Lord allows me to continue to be pastor here, there are other lessons you're going to hear again and again and again. And um, it is, I don't know what we were talking about the other day, but Brother Goff reminded me, he said, it's, it's like that preacher you talked about that said, I'm just going to keep preaching the same message till you get this one. And sometimes you see that some folks didn't quite get it the first time around or the second time around. So you got to go back and hit it a third or a fourth time. You want to make sure that everybody's got a hold of it. And especially when it's something that is so necessary and so important as the topic that I really, I felt this. In fact, I started questioning myself last evening about whether I was really headed the right direction for today. Of all days, of all days to cover what I'm going to cover today. Um, but I'm telling you, I no sooner opened my notes and started reading and I just felt this overwhelming assurance that this is what the Lord wants for today. And so we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And um, I tried to go back and check, and it seems like to me, unless my records are incorrect, which they sometimes are, uh, there are some times that I have felt led to teach something and make note that I'm going to teach it and then step to the pulpit and go a different direction. And then never think to go back and change the fact that, hey, I didn't really teach it. I just intended to. And so I go check my records, and it says I taught this on such and such a date, and I don't remember now that I didn't. All right, so you follow me? So it may have been longer than that, but I show that it's been at least four years since I've covered this subject. And I think that's enough time to come back and talk about it again. In fact, really, this is something that 
it wouldn't hurt for me to cover it every year. Just a few things that every year I probably ought to come back and deal with again. And this is one of those topics. So, with that in mind, we're going to look at our text again and consider what the Apostle Paul, I believe Paul said. I believe it was Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. I know there are those who disagree with that and they have every right to be wrong. I believe it was Paul who wrote it. And uh, I even believe I've got scripture to prove that. We won't talk about that today, but I believe I've got scripture to prove that it was Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, But be that as it may, whoever it was, the writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, felt directed, saw a need, if you please, to address the subject of church attendance. So I just let the cat out of the bag. This is where we're headed today. And so if I could use a little Bishop Westberg lingo, all you cats that don't like this, just get ready to get rubbed the wrong way. Because we're going to deal with it today. We're going to deal with it today. The apostle felt it necessary. The Holy Ghost saw a need to put this in the pages of Scripture. And so there must have been a problem in that day, just as there is in this. Now, why they had a problem back then is not specified. He doesn't say here are the reasons. And scholars, theologians, commentators offer suggestions as to why the apostle would address it. They they say there may have been some who were deterred by the threat of persecution. And I think that's very real. Let me tell you something. They were truly persecuted. We think that because somebody laughs at us, we call that persecution. Because somebody makes fun of us, we say we're persecuted. We don't know what persecution is. We've not experienced persecution. Most of us. There are a few individuals. I've got a friend that's writing a book now, or just wrote a book. It'll be out uh, by SOAR conference. But in it, she tells the story of being beaten because she chose to go to church. Most of us don't know what that's all about. Most of us make choices not to go for frivolous, not most, some of us. Let me rephrase that. I don't don't believe it's most. Some of us make choices not to be in church for very frivolous reasons. Where there are those who have gone in spite of severe persecution. And let me tell you, this is not just ancient history. There are places in the world that it's still happening. And so when you think about some of these people were under the threat of losing their life if they went to church. Are you hearing me today? 
They're under the threat of losing their life, and yet the Holy Ghost inspires the apostle to say, don't quit going to church. It may cost you your life, but don't stop going. There is no doubt the great possibility that some simply had no interest in going. There are those who are of the ill-advised mindset that whether or not I'm in church has no bearing on my salvation. I can be fine in my relationship with God and I don't have to go to church. I'm going to prove that wrong before this lesson is over. I'm going to prove it wrong from the Scripture. If you're not all right with church, you're not all right with God. I'm going to prove that. It's possible that there were those who simply didn't understand the need. For going to church. And that's the reason they neglected that obligation. As some may today. Maybe there are those who didn't like the preacher in their city. It's not like today where there were churches on every corner. I've pointed out to you in the book of Revelation that though there were According to history, some 30,000 members, there was only one church in Ephesus. There weren't other choices. You were going to the church in Ephesus, or you weren't going to church. And so for some people, they may have had a disagreement with the preacher, or maybe a disagreement with a church member, and they made up their mind then. I just won't go. I don't know what the reason, but whatever the reason, the apostle gives no exceptions here. He doesn't say it's okay if, or it's all right unless. Look, the apostle may not have known every reason The writer may not have comprehended every purpose behind those who didn't attend, but the Holy Ghost did. And we've got to remember that the apostle was really not the author. He was simply the scribe. He was the secretary. The Holy Ghost was the author. And the Holy Ghost knows the hearts, the minds, the reasons, the purposes, the intents. And it was the Holy Ghost that said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So, writing under that inspiration, the apostle says we should regard it as our sacred duty to meet together to worship God. To meet together 
to worship God. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, if ever there was a time that this lesson needed to be taught, last time I taught it from all I know was pre-COVID. COVID brought a mindset about that's extremely dangerous. Now we, we did what we could to protect people's health. We didn't just shrug it off. You all know that. We didn't just throw away all caution. We, we, were, cautious. we, we, we were cautious. We were careful. Maybe some might say too careful. Perhaps that's the case. I don't know. Eternity will reveal. But when I was trying to weigh out the health of the people I love dearly, trying to protect them, and trying to at the same time provide for them the spiritual nourishment they needed. It was not an easy choice to make. And if you go back and look at the record, I didn't make that choice because the government mandated it. I made that choice before the government mandated it. The government didn't tell me to limit our service. We chose to do it beforehand. So, Nobody, and I've had them point fingers and say, why do you listen to the government? Why would you let the government shut your church down? Well, number one, the government never shut us down. We continued to have church. Now, the unfortunate thing is that during that time, many people grew very comfortable sitting in their easy chair and listening online. And they still to this day, some three years, uh, two years later, they still to this day feel just as comfortable sitting at home when they have absolutely no good reason to do so. I don't, I don't, this is, this is just Bible teaching, so I don't expect you to be running the aisles today. I'm just, I'm just talking to you from my heart. But something happened to the mindset of, of the Christian community during COVID. And, and, and I just want to remind the church that when all this came about, I was in prayer asking God, what about all of this stuff? I was hearing things, and I'm going to be honest, I was very skeptical at first. I just did not believe it was going to be as bad as everyone said it was going to be. And, and I, I, so I started praying, God, really? I mean, seriously. People are shutting their churches down. The government hadn't told us we have to, but... Really, is this something I need to be concerned about? And I'm going to tell you, it was one of those times that if, if God ever spoke to me, I believe he spoke to me in that moment. And he let me know that, yeah, we need to be concerned about COVID. But the real concern is what would happen afterwards. That something would take place as a result of COVID that would be far more devastating than COVID itself. And I'm telling you, it has. And I don't believe we've seen the worst of it yet. But one of the worst things that happened was this mindset that people can just sit at home. I don't have to have the church anymore. Or I can just follow several churches. I can just blend into several congregations. I can go to several places and I'm okay. No, you are not. Oh, God, help me today. I want to say it as forcefully but as kindly as I can. You need the church. You need your church. You need your church family. You need to be a part of your assembly. 
And it's the enemy that's trying to draw hearts and minds away. It's not God. Now, now look, this, this statement is being made to the recipients of this letter. The Hebrew Christians but yet the fact that God put it in the Bible says it applied not only to the Hebrew Christians, but to the Gentile Christians as well. But to them as individuals, they were commanded, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Now, now these, are, these are collective terms that are made up of individual obligations. The assembling of yourselves. As I said, in Ephesus, there was one church. There was one body. They had one assembly. And they were commanded, don't forsake that assembly. Don't forsake when you all come together. That's the mandate from God. That's the command from God. And we need to recognize this scripture. Listen to me, apostolic. We need to recognize this scripture is just as anointed and just as binding as Acts 2.38. We can't say you got to have Acts 2.38 to be saved, but you can ignore Hebrews 10.25. We can't do that. One is just as binding on us as the other. In fact, we're going to talk about just how binding it is. If I can ever get to the lesson. I got a feeling this is going to stretch into part two. Maybe part three. Who knows? Not my intention. But, but let me tell you, there's something about Christianity. Please understand this. Christianity was never intended to be, I want to be careful how I say it, because i got to word it right so you understand. Christianity was intended to be an individual experience, but it was never intended to be experienced individually alone. It is social. I can't be saved, Brother Hilton, without the rest of the body. I cannot get off on my own and be all right with God. It's impossible. I need the body. You know why? Because I'm just a member or an organ in a body. You tell me how long can an organ live when it's separated from the body. Under very special circumstances... Kept under very, very tight criteria, it can hang on for a little while, but not long term. That's why if there's going to be a heart transplant, a liver transplant, there's going to be a transplant of an organ, they have to get that body almost immediately after the person dies. And then they've got to get it into the recipient. 
right away. They don't have long. So don't tell me you can go out here and be okay on your own. You can't because you're not a body by yourself. You're a member of the body. You're an organ that requires other organs in order to survive. So this is something we need to recognize as a major obligation in our walk with God. We need to recognize that being in the house of God strengthens us, helps us, encourages us, saves us. We cannot hope to grow outside of the church. Oh, but there's problems in the church. You're right, there are. But I'm going to tell you, an organ inside a diseased body still has a better chance of living than an organ outside of that body on its own. It's got to be joined to another body. It's got to be a part of a body. There are going to be problems because we are human. But but. The, the, the real situation is not that there are problems. The situation is you're too focused on the problem to try to work toward a solution. I, I told you, it's going to be Bible lesson this morning. We're just, we're just getting down where the rubber meets the road, all right? This is, this is Sunday morning teaching time. Let me say this. I do need to offer some caveats here. Because I, I know, I, I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. I fully comprehend the fact that there are legitimate situations that keep a person out of church from time to time. I do comprehend that. And I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. I know there are times when the company you work for just simply requires that you be there. And look, the Bible says that if a man does not provide for his household, he's worse than an infidel. So who am I to tell somebody, well, you just got to quit your job and come to church? Right? There are times that you can't help it. Now, I'll tell you this. I believe God wants you to have the best of both worlds. I believe that you ought to pray to the end, no matter how much you love your job or hate your job. If you're having to miss because of work, your prayer ought to be, God, do something to change my schedule. Because he's able. Listen, he can turn the heart of kings, the Bible says. So if he can turn the heart of a king, he can turn the heart of your boss. Am I being too simplistic today? Is my faith too childlike today? Or is God really big enough to step in and change your work schedule? 
Brother, Brother Jerry Hilton, do you remember how long we prayed? You worked second shift, worked second shift, worked second shift, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. Because he hated being gone. But you know what? God gave him a job where he doesn't have to work second shift anymore. God took care of it. It didn't come when we wanted it to come. It wasn't as soon as we had hoped an answer would be provided. But God did answer. And so this is what I'm saying. We, we, need, to, we need to, do we really believe when Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And His righteousness. You know what righteousness means? It's the state of being right. Is it right to be in church? Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. I believe our prayer ought to be, God, work my schedule out and let me be in church. Let me be in church. Especially the closer we get to the rapture. Let me be in church. And I'm telling you, God's big enough. And strong enough. And I'm not, please, I'm not attacking. I hope you understand the spirit of, of what I'm saying. I'm not, I know there are those of you right now that are going through this very thing. I know that. I, I, I got a feeling there's, there's, there's a good brother listening online right now that is, is traveling every, almost every weekend and has to be from coast to coast and, and can't be in church. And I, I, my, I'm telling you, my heart goes out to him. It really does. Because I believe with all my heart he wants to be here. I believe with all my heart he wants to be in this service. He'd rather be here than where he is. I believe that, Brother Goff, with every fiber of my being, I believe that. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, we as a church ought to take these things on us that we're going to start praying for our brothers and our sisters that have to miss. We're not going to be praying for them that, oh, God, judge them because they're skipping church. No, no, they're not skipping church. They have a situation they can't help right now. But we can bind together and touch the throne of grace, and God can fix all of this. I believe that. I believe that. So please don't think that I'm up here ranting and raving about people working these shifts. I'm not. I'm telling you, my heart bleeds for you. And I'm telling you that each of you that have to miss have got something to provide. And the church hurts when you're not here. It's not just that I'm telling you you're doing wrong. I'm saying we're hurting by your absence. And so, we need as a church to carry this as our burden. For those who, who have to miss because of work, God, do something. God, provide a way. Make a way for them to be in the house of God. I know those things happen. Sickness is another situation. When you're sick, I don't want you spreading it to everybody. Now, my old pastor was not quite that way. My pastor was, if you're sick, you come in, we're going to pray for you, and God will heal you. And if you're so sick, you can't come in for prayer, you need to be in the hospital. 
So he said, if you're not in the hospital or in the morgue, you be in church. Now, I'm serious. That's what he preached to us. That's what he told us. I'm not quite that um, strict about it. I know some people don't quite have the faith that God's going to heal them. And then all you're doing is spreading your sickness to everybody else. I want you in church, all right? But if you're sick and you can't be here, you know, if you're, if you're, I don't mean to be crude, but if you're vomiting every three minutes and you're having to run out and may not be, you, you've, you've disrupted the whole service and then nobody gets anything out of it. You understand? I'm not saying you ought to just come regardless. I, I'm, I'm trying to explain before I ever get into the real study that I understand there are real legitimate reasons. I'm not even opposed to taking a vacation from time to time. I'm, I'm not opposed. Now, some people, I think, live on vacation. There's some people that evidently vacation starts Friday evening and ends Sunday night. <laughs> of every week. I'm not opposed to taking a vacation from time to time. We need it. Jesus said to his disciples one time, he said, come ye apart and rest for a while. And I heard a man say, he said, if we don't come apart and rest once in a while, we'll just come apart. We, we need that, all right? I'm not opposed to that. But, but let me say this. If you're going to be gone for sickness, for work, for vacation, there's a couple things I ask of you. And I don't think I'm asking too much. First of all, I ask if it's a matter of you being gone because of vacation, visiting family, I ask that you be in church some way or listen online. I just believe we need church. I believe we need church. And I'm telling you, when, when my wife and I travel, even when I travel to Africa, you know, most of the time I end up, when I was making these trips, I would end up in Johannesburg, South Africa on Tuesday night. And it would be, whatever, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, I forget, when service was going on here. I'd been traveling at that point for 24 hours or more. But I don't know if there's a night that I didn't get up and tune into the service. As exhausted as I was, as tired as I was, I was listening. Because my heart was here. As thrilled as I was to have the opportunity to be in Africa, my heart was here. And so I would listen every chance I got. We were listening online Tuesday, driving down the road this, this past week. All I'm asking is if you can't be here, because you don't know what's being said. And listen, if you're a part of the body, very likely things are being preached you need to hear. And if you just miss, and you're not listening online, you don't know what's going on at the church. And I promise you, it's not going to be long until you're totally disconnected from everybody. 
at least there's a way to remain connected. It's not the best. It's not the best, but it's better. And so, if, you know, on Sunday of last week, we were with grandkids, and I was in church. Sunday morning, I preached. Sunday night, I didn't. I was just visiting the church that my daughter and son-in-law attend. There was another preacher there, but I was in church. Because I want to be in God's house. Sunday is the Lord's day. And I want to be in God's house. That's. Okay, I'm going to spend all my time in the caveat. One of the things things I ask is either listen online or be in church. The other thing that I ask, and I don't think this is asking too much, is if you're going to be gone. Whether it's sickness, work, vacation. Would you just be so kind as to let me know? And that's not because I'm trying to control your life. It's because I care about you. And when I don't know, then, then, then I have no idea if you're sick. I, I don't know what's going on. And, and, and let, me just, let me just tell you. Again, you can make the study. I don't have time to get into this. I've spent way more time on everything else than I intended. I don't have time to get into this, but but you make the study. It's really not my obligation to call you and ask where you were. That's really, that's not my job. Scripturally, you're to call for the elders. You, in the Old Testament, they, if they, there was a problem. They went to the priest. They went to the man of God. They didn't sit around and wait for him to come checking on them. That's not my obligation. I'm not the sheriff. I don't wear a badge. I'm not coming hunting for you. If you can't be in church, all I ask is let me know so I'm not worried about it. Now, sometimes I will. In fact, most of the time, if I haven't heard from you, I, my wife or I, one, are going to try to check on you and find out, at least send a message, hey, we missed you, hoping you'll say, well, hey, I was at such and such, or I was this or that. I feel like that's just good accountability. And if we don't have accountability in our life, let me just, can I just lay it out as a fact? If, if you're not accountable to the pastor, you don't have a pastor. That's just a fact. If you're not accountable to the pastor, you don't have a pastor. You have a preacher. But but having a pastor, a shepherd, requires a certain degree of accountability. And again, not, not that I have to track you down, but you need to put forth the effort to say, hey, I'm going to be out of town this weekend. And, and you know what? I've got people that do that faithfully and I'm so thankful for it and and when I write back and I send them a text message or they call and I respond I'm being as serious and as honest and as sincere as I can be when I say to them I really appreciate you telling me and I don't care if 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 they how often they call and tell me I'm still going to tell them I really appreciate you telling me because I mean that 
I know you don't have to, but it says something to me that you really do consider me your pastor. And you do care enough that I'm not going to be worried about you. So, so I ask, either listen online or be in church. I ask, please let me know. And then the third thing is simply this. If you're going to be gone, I just want you to ask yourself. Should I find a place to hide before I... Nobody brought any tomatoes with you, did you? Somebody's going to throw any tomatoes. But ask yourself this. Would my boss accept this as a legitimate reason for me to miss work? Now, just let that sink in for a minute. If, if, if you're working a job, whatever causes you to not be in church, is that reason good enough for you to call in to work and use it? I think that's a fair thing to ask. You know, I got this bunion, and it's 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 bothering my little pinky toe. And would your boss accept that? Would he give you paid time off, sick leave, whatever, because of this bunion on your pinky toe? Well, maybe if it's bad enough, it's infected or whatever, maybe so. But that's all I'm asking is ask yourself, would this be an acceptable reason on the job? Or is it just, well, I'm tired tonight. And, well, would your boss accept that? Well, he might if it's a matter of real exhaustion. You've had things going on. You hadn't slept for 24 hours, 30, you know, th things, or you've had one or two hours. He might accept it. I'm just saying, ask yourself. Put, put this situation into some other situation. Put this criteria into some other situation. And ask, does it really line up there? And if it does, fine. If it does, you wouldn't have a problem calling and telling me why you're not going to be here. Right. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Okay. So let's get back into the scripture now. And everybody smile. We're all happy, right? It's, we're, we're, we're all good to go. I guess not. <clears throat> well, too bad. Not going to get any better than this, I can promise you. It's, uh, this, is, this is what it is. It is what it is. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you today as your pastor. Not as a buddy. I, I, I'm talking to you. I'm appealing to you as the under-shepherd who's going to have to answer to God one day for the flock over which he's made me an overseer. And I've got to be able to stand before him in peace and say, God, I presented to them these things. Because I do believe I'm going to have to give an account. And so that's why I say what I say. All right. So here's my title. And as I said, we've, I've taught this before. Lord have mercy. Have I really spent that much time? <clears throat> Here's my title today. 
I mean, I could just call the music right now and say, okay, we'll, we'll go on to next week. Uh, I'll at least get through one or two of these, all right? Maybe not any more than that, but we'll do what we can. Uh, my title today, 31 Reasons Why I Attend Church. 31 Reasons. Now, let me just start out by saying, and those of you that have heard me teach just about anything from the Scripture, you know that this is one of the basic rules of Bible interpretation, is that in order to establish any doctrine, you need at least two or three biblical witnesses to really establish a doctrine. Right? Right? I need at least two or three amens to let me know that, okay, all right, thank you, thank you. All right, so Matthew's 18, 16, read. You weren't expecting me to actually get to anything today. <laughs> is, is that not in there? Okay, I'm sorry. So in that case, get your Bible and find it. The next one's not going to be either because I remember now what was the first one on the page, and I, I don't know how I missed these first two, I'm sorry. Um, so Matthew 18, 16 says this. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two or two more, that in the mouth of two, in the or, mouth of two or three, or witnesses, three witnesses, every word may be established. Two or three witnesses, every word's got to be established, all right? The next one's found in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. 2 Corinthians comes immediately after 1 Corinthians. Chapter 13 comes after chapter 12, and verse 1 comes right before verse 2. So that should locate it exactly yes, for you. Sir. Ready? Read. This is the third time I, come, I am coming to you uh -huh. in the mouth now, of two whoa, whoa, or three. Hang, hang on, hang on. Read that again. In the mouth. No, 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 the first part. This is the third time I am coming to you. Sounds to me, Brother Hilton, like Paul had taught this lesson a couple times too. Look, this is the third time I've told you this, he said. So I'm not the only one that goes back and reteaches lessons, all right? This is the third time that I've dealt with this. All right. And then he said, In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I mean, Paul even went so far as to say the first two times I came to these counts, two separate witnesses. Which, by the way, if any of you ever have someone say, they, they quote the scripture where Jesus talks about two witnesses, and he talks about him and his father, and they say that means there has to be two separate persons. Take them to 2 Corinthians 13.1, where Paul identified himself, just one Paul, one apostle Paul, as being three witnesses. Another lesson for another day. 2 Corinthians 13, 1, this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So if I can present to you two or three biblical witnesses that show the reason why you ought to be in church, that settles it. But what I want to do throughout the course of this lesson is not to give you two or three. I'm going to give you 31. Ten times more than the maximum required. Now, I like to stress when I'm teaching on baptism, you only have to have two or three. And I give seven witnesses for baptism in Jesus' name. And that settles the issue. Seven witnesses, that's more than double. 
Can I say to you, there are more biblical witnesses for the reason we ought to be in church than there are for the reason we ought to baptize in Jesus' name? Because you only, you only get baptized once, but church rolls around on a regular basis. And so it wasn't enough to give us two or three witnesses as to why we ought to be in church. It wasn't even enough to give us seven witnesses why we ought to be in church. I'm going to give you 31 biblical witnesses as to why you need to make coming to church a top priority. Oh, hallelujah. This may not be good teaching, but I sure feel like it's right. All right, so number one, witness number one, Luke chapter 4. This is where your page starts. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. I apologize. I need to try to remember to fix that. But, but it may be another four years before I teach it again, so I won't remember to go back and add those next time. So, uh, All right, so Luke chapter 4, verse 16, read. And he came to Nazareth, and where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up for to read. All right. As his custom was, Jesus had a habit of going to church. So number one is this. If it was the habit of Jesus, and I want to be like Jesus, I need to have that same habit. You know, a habit's not something you have to stop and think about doing. A habit something you have to think about not doing. So if you miss church and don't think about it, it has never become your custom. It's never become your habit. If you can just miss and you don't think anything about it, you need some correction here. You can't be like Jesus if you don't have the custom he had. And his custom was, it's Sabbath day, I'm going to church. That's his custom, and it ought to be our custom. There's reason number one. Hallelujah. I may get through a few of these today before we have to quit, although we might need a real good altar call. All right, witness number two, Hebrews 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves, ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and doing so much the more, as you see the day approaching. All right, so, so listen. First of all, Hebrews 10, 25. The second witness is this. It's commanded in Scripture. This is a clear command. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. For those who don't understand this old English lingo, the assembling of yourselves together, let me give you the common language interpretation. Going to church. He said, don't quit going to church. That's the Riggin revised rendition right there. Don't quit going to church. Don't skip church. I like that version even better. That's the Riggin NIV or something. I don't know. Or I just insert my own opinions in there too. <laughs> what the NIV does. So I'm saying to you, don't skip church because it is a biblical command. 
Do we really think we can disobey the Lord's commands and be saved? Now, read, read this again. Verse 25, read that again for, not, for witness number three. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and doing so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I pointed this out when I read my text. But, but witness number three, the third reason why I attend church is because going to church helps me get ready for the rapture. That's what he's saying. Now look, again, there are so many things in this verse. I, I really could, I could probably spend this whole day just dealing with this verse. There's no way, no way you can obey Hebrews 10.25 staying at home. No way. Somebody said, well, I'm still getting the word. I'm, I'm gathering with those that are online. No, no, no. Let's read it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. We've got to come together to assemble. As the manner of some is, exhorting one another. Now, please tell me, when you're just listening online, who are you exhorting? Coming to church is not just about having someone exhort you. But it's about encouraging your brothers and sisters. And who are you encouraging sitting at home listening online? I'm telling you, this was one of the worst things that came about because of COVID. I'm telling you, it's one of the worst. It is absolutely impossible to stay home and obey 10, Hebrews 10.25. It cannot be done. Not under any stretch of the imagination. And he said, we ought to be coming together and we ought to be exhorting one another in the house of God more as we get closer to the rapture, not less. Do you think that it's any accident that the devil would put some kind of something on this earth that would keep people away from church when the Lord said the closer you get to the coming of the Lord, be in church more? Do you think that was an accident? I don't. The devil wanted to get people comfortable staying home because he knows there are some things you'll never get when you're sitting at home. You hear me? You may get blessed. You may feel a touch of God. But there's some things you're never going to get when you're sitting at home. When you're sick, I can't lay virtual hands on you. If there's a devil that's oppressing you, I can't rebuke him virtually. And if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I can't give you a virtual baptism. So from what I understand, it's being done. I, I didn't know that. I've learned something new this week. They, they, they claim it's being done. You do understand what the word virtual means. This, this um, when I was in college, our, our English teacher made this statement, and I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten it, and I've stressed it, and I heard Brother Hilton just, 
just quote it, so he's heard me tell it, so he's never forgotten it either. But, but our, my, my, my English teacher in college, somebody said something about, you know, well, I'm, I'm virtually satisfied with this. I'm virtually 100% convinced of this or whatever. And, and he stopped and he said, wait, wait, wait. Do you know what virtually means? Do you understand what that means? Virtual. Well, I, I think that means fairly close to 100%. No, no, that's, that's not what it means. He said, this has been taken to court. He said, there was someone that was using, I, I know we've got kids up here today, but there was someone using a particular form of birth control and ended up pregnant, and they sued the company because the company advertised this birth control as being virtually 100% effective. And do you know that the court ruled in favor of the company? Because they said the word virtual or virtually means not in fact. Not in fact. So when they say it's virtually 100% effective, that means it is not in fact 100% effective. So when they talk about virtual reality, it is not, in fact, reality. So a virtual baptism is not, in fact, a baptism. Words mean things, folks. Words mean things. And we've got generations that are being raised now in virtual worlds. What is this thing? What is it? They're talking about the, the, the metaverse. Where they have an avatar and they live vicariously through this avatar. And the avatar becomes them. And there, 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 there are places, from what I understand, they're actually building these virtual churches in the metaverse. And, and the avatars become members. And the avatars get baptized. And... and and listen, as we raise young people that are coming up with that kind of thing, it's going to be more and more difficult to convince them that the real world is the real world. And that the virtual world is not, in fact, the world. I'm just telling you, when you're having virtual church, You're not, in fact, having church. There's nothing that can replace being in the house of God with the people of God. Well, praise God. I'm telling you, that's why the apostle felt so strongly to tell people, even when it's the threat of death, people say, well, you know, it's going to hurt. My, my spouse doesn't want this. Well, you know what? The Bible did say that two would be in the bed and one taken and the other left. And you ought to make it up in your mind. Honey, if, you're, if you want to be lost, you can be lost, but I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be lost. If, two are gonna, if, if, if there's two and only one of those is going, I'm going to be the one. Now, I hope and pray that in my marriage it's both of us. But I, this is the way I feel, and I can tell you it's the way my wife feels. If it has to come down to one or the other... There's neither one of us that's given up our salvation. Well, 
Somehow we got to make up our minds. Church is that important to us. Being in church is that important to us. It's not about who else is here. You don't know anybody at church? Meet somebody. Make some friends. That's right, Brother Self. Make some friends. Instead of sitting around and complaining and grumbling, recognize the church as your hope. And do something. If it's not right, work to fix it. Well, I hope, I hope, I hope. I don't know what, I don't know what our numbers look like online today, but I hope we got a lot of folks listening online. Some of them may have already turned me off. They're going to say this, this sermon is virtually for me. Let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> Some are going to be saying, this is not, in fact, for me. Uh, so much the more, so much the more, so much the more. This is what the apostle told us. The closer we get to the rapture, we ought to be in church more because coming to church helps us get ready for the rapture. I'm telling you, the more wicked it gets out there, the more we ought to see this place as a sanctuary, a sanctuary for our minds, a sanctuary for our hearts. All right, where am I at? 20 minutes. Yeah, I can cover a few more. Number four. Number four. I've already given you three witnesses. That's really, I mean, I could close the lesson right now and say I've given you all the biblical necessities you need. Three witnesses settles the matter. But we're going to keep plodding along here. Number four. Number 4, Matthew 21, verses 12 to 14. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves mm. and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Mm. Jesus helped me today. Set a watch, O oh Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. I'm praying sincerely right now. I want to be very careful how I say all of this. But the fourth reason why you ought to be in church is because it fulfills the biblical command to make his house a house of prayer. This is why I say, people say, well, I can, I can pray at home. Yeah, you can. But you're not doing what Jesus said. You ought to pray at home. It's one of those things where, as he told the Pharisees, this ought you to have done. But don't leave the other undone. You ought to pray at home. But you also ought to make his house a house of prayer. There ought to be something about this place that you come here to pray. Well... Hear me today. I, I, I really, I'm trying to be as kind and yet as straightforward as I can. This, this is why we have pre-service prayer. This is why we don't just drag in. Because this is not just supposed to be a place of singing. It's not just supposed to be even a place of worship. It's not even just supposed to be a place of preaching. But it's a place of prayer. My house shall be called a house of 
prayer, you ought to come here and pray. You ought to be praying before the service. When the preacher gets through, you ought to find a place to pray after the service. This ought to be a place of prayer. In fact, I'll tell you, you ought to love praying here so much that you ought to come by through the week. There ought to be times nobody has to tell you, would you please come to church? Would you please come to church? I'm not going to, I have no intention of setting a sign-up sheet out there and making you sign that you come to church. I'm not going to do that. I want you to love the house of God enough that you just come. I want you to see this as a place. I can't wait to get back to the church. Oh, how I love the church. Oh, how I love that place. I was glad when they said to me, He didn't say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to a service. I was just glad when they said, let's go to his house. I just love to go to his house. So the fourth reason you ought to come to church is because it shows obedience to Jesus' command to make this a house of prayer. Again, that's not something you can do at home. You don't make this a house of prayer. And this is his house. Number five, number five, let's go to Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Okay, Ephesians 4 and 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All right, the next reason why. I come to church and you ought to come to church is because it helps to fulfill that scriptural mandate for unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren and cistern to dwell together in unity. To dwell together. Please tell me how you sitting at home, listening online, brings you together with your brothers and sisters. Please explain to me how you're showing any unity at all by just doing what is most comfortable for you. How does that show unity? How good, how pleasant it is that we dwell together in unity. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. That's work. Brother Nelson preached that sometime back. Endeavor is work. It requires an effort on our part to keep unity. You don't keep unity by going it alone. You're not unified with anybody but yourself. Right. Me, myself, and I, there's unity right there. That's, only, that's the only thing I can think of. I, I don't know. I can't come up with any other way that people think that they're being unified when they're just doing it on their own. And, and listen, I, again, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm, that's why I'm injecting a little humor in all this. But I do want to make the point, and I want everyone to understand why this is so important. It's necessary that we be united with the others. 
We need a place that is our church. This is where I belong. This is home. Well, praise God. All right, number six. Number six. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not reading. In fact, the word hearing in the original Greek actually means that which is preached. I don't know if you knew that. You can look it up for yourself. That word hearing means that which is preached. Faith comes by that which is preached. So it's not a matter of you just reading the scripture, and you ought to be. In fact, let's see. A few days ago, I really stressed that you ought to be reading your Bible through. I just wonder if anybody picked up a chart and got started if it wasn't, or picked it back up. I had a pastor call me the other day, and he he said, I'm sorry, I'm so frustrated. He said, I'm so frustrated. He said, I don't know what to do. He said, I got up and told the church. We'd had a a service, and he said, I was was heartbroken. He said, "I, I looked out, and I saw a young girl there seeking the Holy Ghost. And he said, I saw cut marks all over her. And he said, it just, it broke my heart. And he said, I felt this unction from God. He said, I, when, when everything was done, he said, I stepped to the pulpit and said, church, you have no idea what our youth are going through these days. You have no idea the things that are tormenting their minds and how there is this pressure on them to just destroy themselves. And he said, I'm calling on this church this week. I want you to make it an effort. I don't care what your age, any adult in this church, I'm asking you, reach out to some young person this week. Take some young person on your heart this week. Call them. Check on them. I I want you to do something for them. Take them out to eat. Do something for a young person this week. Everybody, every member of this church, I I feel this, he said, in the Holy Ghost. He said, the end of that week, I came back and said, how many of you did it? He said, my son and one other person in the church. He said, I'm so frustrated. He said, when I tell people the Holy Ghost is telling me that we got to do this, why is it that everyone thinks that doesn't mean me? So that was a side note. Um, I've asked you to read your Bible through. Can we add two plus two? Get to where I, all right, we're all there. I'm also asking you to come to church, so we added two plus two, and you all need to come with four. Um, it ought to be more than just sitting here listening to me say words, but you've got to put it into practice. Don't just be a hearer of the Word. Be a doer of the Word. Now, what I started into is you need to be reading your Bible. You should be reading your Bible. I'm encouraging you to read your Bible. I'm telling you as your pastor to read your Bible, but reading your Bible on your own is not the same as hearing it preached. Faith comes by that which is preached, and that which is preached comes to us from the Word of God. 
That's the way it's supposed to work. Our faith. So, so I'm telling you, uh, number six is this, that coming to church builds my faith. And do you know that without faith, you can't please God? Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It's what? Impossible. It's what? Impossible. If you don't have faith, you can't please God. How do you get faith? For he that comes. Uh, uh, hang on, hang on. I'm asking another question from the previous verse now. Don't racehorse me. So, so faith, without faith, you can't please God. And where do we get faith? What we just read, where do we get faith? By preaching. We get faith from the preaching. And without faith, we can't please God. Please tell me again how you can be pleasing to God when you're not here to hear the preaching. Please explain to me again how happy God is with you when you won't listen to the preacher God gave you. You can't even have faith. And without faith, you can't please God. Nine minutes. How many more can I cover? I've covered six. Give me 20 minutes. Maybe I can get three more. Number seven. Number seven. Hebrews 13, 17. Here we go. Obey them that have rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, I want you to follow this. According to Hebrews 13, 17, this is what I said earlier. I have to be accountable to God for you. I've got to be accountable to God for the things that I preach to you. I will be accountable to God for the way I treat you. I'll be accountable to God for the life I live in front of you, for the example I set before you. I'm going to be accountable to God for you. Therefore, the only way I can be accountable to God for you is if you are accountable to me. How can I tell God what's going on in your life if I don't know what's going on in how can I tell God that you've been obedient? I'm going to tell you, I've talked a lot about my pastor, the miracles that we saw when I was growing up, and, and it's been a while. And in fact, spoiler alert, during SOAR conference, uh, Brother McFall had, he had first agreed to preach SOAR conference, and then he called me back and said, look, I'm having surgery, and... I, I can't do anything for three weeks after the surgery, and that's going to put me right at that three-week period, and, and I, I don't want to mess up anything, so I'm not going to be able to preach, so he canceled on me. And then Brother Robert Davis uh, had hip replacement and was starting to see some improvement, went to therapy and fell or something and messed up, and it set him way back, and he said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to come. So that was two canceling on me. And, and so I ended up calling Brother McFall back, and I said, I, I know you can't preach, I understand, but would you just take a service, one of the day services, and just reminisce about the elder and the home church and, and the things that we saw 
You don't have to preach. But that's what this conference is all about. And, and, and Brother McFall, I was there the night Brother McFall prayed through, but, he, but he'd been raised in that church. He had grown up and had never prayed through until he was already, um, I think, 18, 19 years old before he prayed through. So I was in the church before he prayed through, but he was actually there, was raised in that church. And so I've asked him, would you just take, he's going to take the Friday morning service, and he's just going to reminisce about the elder, the miracles we saw, the things that happened in that church. And, and I said, you know, you know, there won't be any preaching involved. Just talk to us. We'll get you a chair. We'll do whatever we've got to do. But just take that time. So that's going to be a great service that Friday morning. I'm telling you, it's going to be a great service. And there's no telling. Those kinds of things build our faith. They build our faith. And, and there's no telling what kind of miracles the Lord might perform by the time he gets through just telling stories. There's no telling what God might do that day. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be an exciting, exciting time. Um, so, so uh, I, I've told you about some of these miracles I, I witnessed and, and the great man of faith that my pastor was. But let me tell you one of the things that I watched him do. Many times when he would pray for someone, I would hear him, because I always wanted to be as close as I could get, to see what the man of God was saying, to learn what he was doing, to kind of watch and figure things out. But I'm telling you, I don't know how many times, Brother Seeley, that, that, that Elder Davis, when he would he'd get the oil and he would anoint someone and he would pray this prayer, he would say, God, you know they've been faithful. Lord, you know when I asked them to do thus and so and they did it. God, you see the sacrifices they've made. And he'll start reminding God of the faithfulness of that saint. And then he would say, now God, would you heal them? And I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost would fall. Accountability to a preacher is not the preacher becoming a lord over God's heritage. Accountability to a preacher is to your benefit. That's why it says... They watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy. That they may do it with joy. Now I'm going to tell you, my pastor was just the kind that if you weren't faithful, he didn't mind bringing that to God's attention either. Or anybody else's. Uh, but it was always so much better. When he could go back and recount, Lord, you see and you know. And as he'd start reminiscing and he'd start bringing to God's remembrance the things that he knew that this precious saint had done and their faithfulness to God. Now, if I don't know that, if you're not accountable to me, I can't recount those things. I can't bring that to God's remembrance. That's, that's where accountability is not a burden for you. It becomes a joy for you and a joy for me and not a grief for me. Because the Bible says that if it's a grief for me to give an account, that's not going to be profitable for you. Now, if the only account I can give is God, I don't know. That's not going to be profitable either. All right, three minutes. 
<clears throat> Number seven, it brings accountability to one who will present me to God. That's reason number seven why I go to church and why you ought to go to church. Reason number eight. Eight out of 31, what's that percentage? We're not even a third of the way. Um, number eight. First Corinthians one twenty one. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world of wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. To save them that believe. Now, this kind of ties into what we talked about earlier, but this just drills it on a little deeper here. Number eight is it helps to assure my salvation by allowing me to be preached to. God chose, now I want you to notice this, words mean things. God chose, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Believer is a term used in the Scripture for those that were saved. Preaching is not just for the sinner. If we're going to be saved, it's going to be through preaching. Just because we obeyed Acts 2.38 doesn't mean we've got it in the bag. Salvation is a process. I dealt with this in a podcast some weeks ago if you haven't heard it. I don't know, dig through it, find out what I said. Um, salvation is a process because we have been saved from the effect of past sins. We are being saved from present temptations, and we will be saved from the potential of failure when we get to heaven. It's a process. It's an unfolding process. And you know how we reach that final stage that we can honestly say we are fully saved when the pearly gates close behind us? You know how we're going to get there? It's going to be through preaching. That's why from time to time I like to do what I did last Sunday night and sit down in the audience and let somebody else preach to me. That's why we, in fact, even on Sunday nights here, I like to have people preaching to me. I want, look, saints, I'm just going to be transparent with you. I've got to close. Musicians, Sister Regan, come. You're the musician on Sunday morning. I keep forgetting that. Um, Let, let, me, let, me, let me be transparent with you. I've watched a lot of men reach my age and start abandoning things that they used to believe and start walking away from things that they once were passionate about. And Brother Goff, I don't want that to happen in my life. But you know the only way that's going to happen is if I keep in mind that it's preaching that's going to save me too. I need to be preached to just like everybody else needs to be preached to. If I'm going to be saved, I've got to have somebody that can preach to me. I've got to be able to sit under preaching and listen to the voice of another man of God. Correct me, instruct me, rebuke me if necessary. Put me on my face again. Because I'm telling you, I'm sincere about this. I don't want to lose out. In the last days of my life. I don't want to have lived for God these 50 years. And in the last decade or two decades of my life. Lose it all. But the only thing that's going to keep me steadfast and sure. Is the same thing that's going to keep you steadfast and sure. And that's having somebody preach to us. 
Let's stand today. Let's stand today. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord, everybody. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I need you, Master. God, come on, let's reach out to him. Let's reach out to him. 